Welcome to the Awakening Church podcast. We exist to awaken this generation to new life in Christ. Thanks for tuning in. To find out more, go to awakeningchurch.com. I have three kids, uh, 14, 11, and 8, I think. A daughter and two boys. Uh, when my daughter was really young, she was, uh, I think, four years of old age, um, I was teaching her how to climb a tree because I loved climbing trees as a kid. And we had this apricot tree in our backyard, uh, and I even nailed just like a little piece of wood because the trunk was a little too high for her to get to the branches, and so was helping her learn how to climb Trees. Well, one Saturday afternoon, I was inside, and I hear this blood-curling scream from my daughter. And as parents, we know this. We get this. There's, there's the scream of our kids that's like, okay, you're not really hurt. You just want attention. And then there's the scream of, they're going to die. Like, this is a big deal. This was a big deal scream. And I heard this, Dad! And I run out to the backyard, and I don't see anything. Initially, she screams again, and there in the tree is Ella, stuck. By the way, I asked her if I could share this story. I just thought, she's now a teenager. i got to make sure I don't embarrass her. <laughs> Completely stuck in a tree, and I go out to see her, and she's up, and she's got her arms with this death grip around a branch, and she's just shaking. Mind you, she wasn't all that high. I could touch her feet from the ground. But don't tell her that because in that moment, she felt like her life was hanging in the balance. Uh, That moment, I was like talking to her and I said, Ella, all you have to do is let go of that branch that you're clinging to and grab it right in front of you. I got your feet. I got you. I'll hold on to you. Don't you worry. Daddy's here. He'll take care of you. And she just was like this, shaking her head, holding on to the branch. There's like nothing would cause her to let go of that branch. And so I climbed up in the tree. And if you happen to be one of our neighbors, you were concerned about perhaps even child abuse at that moment as you heard, Daddy, no, Daddy, stop. No, Daddy, no. Because I am prying her arms off of the branch and then lowering her down to her mom. And the reality is, is this morning, for many who walked in, is you feel stuck. Stuck in a tree, perhaps. Maybe you feel stuck relationally. May you feel stuck spiritually, emotionally, career-wise, financially, but you just go, I'm stuck in life. We've been in a series that's examining these six conditions that characterize the type of person that God strongly supports. Our model has been Nehemiah. For those who are just joining us, As I was talking with one small group this last week, they call it episodes, so this is episode three. Nehemiah, a Jewish person born in Persia in exile, holds the highest rank that a non 
uh, Persian could hold. He was cupbearer to the king. And he gets a bad report from Jerusalem that the people are in disgrace, the walls are torn down, and his heart begins to break. And for four months, he prays and seeks God. And we talked that there's two conditions last, the last two weeks that, that God responds to. The first condition is a dislocated heart, that Nehemiah's heart broke for the things that broke God's heart, broke for the people of God, broke for the place of God. And the last week we talked about this dependent spirit, that, that, that he, he prayed and sought God for four months, joined with the crew and said, God, we need you to show up. And the problem is, You can have a dislocated heart and a a dependent spirit and still remain stuck in life. There's a prerequisite. There's a condition for us to get unstuck. For us, really what this series is all about is living above and beyond the status quo to significance. Living above and beyond mediocrity to meaning, from existing to purpose. Just going through the motions to, to engaging life and making a difference. There, there is this, this moment for us that we need to step into this switch that turns on. The condition number three is this. A step of faith. To get unstuck requires a step of faith. Living out your God-given purpose on this planet will necessitate you taking a singular step of faith and putting your mouth or your body where your mouth is, or however that phrase goes, because neither one of those were correct. (laughs) Nehemiah chapter 2. And we're confronted with this dilemma. Wherever you're stuck in your life, either to be paralyzed by fear, clinging to a branch, or to be propelled by faith, trusting that your heavenly Father is calling you, and your security that you're clinging to isn't as big or as safe as your Father who's calling you. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, that is, the king, I took wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. I love this next line. I was very much afraid. I said to the king, just imagine the drama, take a deep breath. May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruin and the gates have been destroyed with fire? The king said to me, what is is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. And then I love this next part. And I also said to him, 
while many are good graces. If it pleases the king, may I have a letter to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they'll provide me with safe contact, conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal parks, that will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the, temple, uh, for the city walls and for the residence I will occupy. And because of the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. So I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent an army of officers and cavalry with me. For us to live out our God-given purpose on this planet, it will require a step of faith. For you, in the area of your life that you are stuck in personally, it will require and necessitate a step of faith. Nothing, by the way, would have changed for the people of Israel if Nehemiah didn't take this step of faith. And one of the things I love about the the book of Nehemiah is it is a business person who God gets a hold of his heart and uses his particular skills, his circumstances, his background to effect incredible change for the people of Israel. And you'll notice, by the way, that some priests went before him and they were still struggling and it took a group of highly capable business people to say, hey, we're going to get in on this together with what God's doing on this planet. By the way, Nehemiah never would have experienced God use his life powerfully if he didn't take a step of faith. He would have missed out on it. He would have been living in the citadel of Susa with a broken heart, praying and seeking and wondering, God, would you answer my prayer? And God's saying, I did. You're the answer. You're the answer. Take a step of faith. Begin to respond to what I've put on your heart. And so, and so how do you move from feeling or being stuck to really this process of taking steps of faith? What I want to spend our time with is answering a few questions that the text answers when it comes to faith. What is faith? Like, what does faith really look like? Why is it so important? And then how do we grow in it? Well, what is faith? Hebrews 11.1, it's known as the um, chapter of faith, the hall of faith, gives us a definition of what faith is. It says, now faith is confidence or assurance in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It is this confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, this definition never really helped me for a long time. And maybe you're um, with me. Like, you read it and you're like, okay, confident about what we hope for, assurance of what we do not see. I don't understand that. Well, biblical definition of faith is this, the confidence that God is who he says he is and that he'll do what he said he'll do. It is the confidence in the character of God and the promises of God. So so let me give you an illustration so that we can understand this. Because this is what biblical faith is. Biblical faith is not wishing. Biblical faith is not just close your eyes and jump and hope for the best. That's not faith. That's being an idiot. Okay. It is. And plenty of Christians do that and call it faith. Here's, Here's the idea. Here's the picture. 
When I asked my wife to marry me over 16 years ago, I got down on one knee, a little harder these days, and I asked her to marry me. Now, what she did in that moment, praise God, she said yes. Now, what she did in that moment moving forward was faith, okay? She began to plan for a wedding that did not yet exist. Why? Because of the character of the man who made the promise with the ring to her. She said, okay, based on that promise and your character, I'm going to arrange and organize my life in such a way that this day we will stand at the altar and be married. And I'm going to spend lots of hours getting everything just organized. And all those steps, all the way leading up to the altar moment, were steps of faith. That is biblical faith. It's confidence in what we hope for. I hope that we're getting married. Why? Why do I have that hope? It's not like this. I hope. It's this certainty, confidence, because of who made the promise. Now, we think about Nehemiah here. Nehemiah, if you joined us last week, his prayer for four months revolved around the character of God, Nehemiah 1, chapter 4 through 7. And then the promises of God, Nehemiah 1, verses 8 through 11. The moment before the king of Persia was preceded by four moments, four months on his knees before the king of the universe. By the way, for some, you've taken a step of faith where it kind of was like it wasn't that biblical definition of faith, and you're like, why, why was that so hard? See, a dislocated heart and a dependent spirit are the the foundation for us in taking our step of faith. God, is my heart beating in line with your heart? And have I sought you, and have I heard from you before I move forward? So what does faith look like? Well, first, faith, according to our definition, is to trust and to circle this word, act on that trust. Faith is to trust. I put trust in you, in your word, and then I'm going to act as if it's true. Faith is aligning our actions with the promises of God. Many Christians aren't attempting anything that requires God to move powerfully or to intervene. I love how Ortberg says it. He says, faith is coming to believe with my whole body what I say I believe with my mind. It's coming to believe with my entire body that the promises of God are true. That his word about you is true. And then you begin to step into that. Friends, our church would be so different if you read Ephesians 1 and you believe that his promise about you is true. Ephesians 1, for those who don't know, it, it, all, it goes all through who we are in Christ. It says that you have every spiritual blessing in Christ. How many? All of them. Adopted. What if you just began to believe that's true and walked in and said, I'm a daughter, I'm a son of the King Most High. Forgiven fully. When Jesus said it was finished, it was finished, and your sin's gone forever. 
As far as the east is from the west. He says, so have I separated your sins from you. Instead of walking in shame, instead of walking in guilt, instead, you said, no, no, faith is waking up today and realizing I'm forgiven, and so I can live a redeemed and forgiven life. Right? So you begin to realize, okay, the promises of God. And God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. How? According to his work that he is doing in us. That the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. That wherever you go, you have resurrection power inside of you. And you begin to say, okay, I can step into this. I don't feel fully equipped, but I have the spirit of God, so I'm empowered to do it. Okay. Faith is to trust and to act on that trust. What does faith look like? Well, it always involves risk. Think about Ella. Clinging to that tree. Just holding on to that one branch, and it was comfortable, kind of, I guess. I mean, it was secure, wasn't it? It it was like that moment, and it it involved risk for her of letting go of the thing that made her feel as if she was secure, if she was safe. It kept her stuck. And if she never had a daddy that climbed up into the tree and got her out, maybe she would still be in that tree to this day. I don't know. We'd have to bring out food for her. (laughs) Going to the bathroom would be difficult. Faith always... Involves risk. See, where there is no risk, there is no faith. But it's not blind faith. It's not just faith in anything. And like Ella, it wasn't just anyone calling her to let go of that branch. It was her dad who loves her. Who goes, I, I have the best for you. I don't want you to be stuck. I want to help you. And I'm calling you to let go of that branch and trust that if you let go, I got you. See, what we miss and what we fail to understand is there's risk on the other side as well. And for some who walked in this room stuck emotionally or spiritually, you can cling to whatever your security is and the risk is staying stuck. The, the risk... It's just kind of eking your way through life instead of experiencing the God who wants to work powerfully through you. Faith is to trust, to act on that trust, to always involves risk. Think about Nehemiah's risk, by the way. He risked his job. He risked his position. He risked his very life in that moment. As a, your job before the royal court was to always present a good face. You would never show that you're sad. By the way, he risked something that we don't immediately know in the text. He risked failure. When he asked the king for permission to rebuild the walls, he's asking something the king had already put a stop to years earlier. See, some of us need the faith to realize, okay, I'm going to, even though others have felt at it, I can move forward in it. And we say, everybody else is, well, they said no once, so it's going to be no again. You don't know that. 
I like the adage, never say someone's no. Faith always involves risk. And faith, by the way, is not opposed to wisdom. Faith isn't throwing your brains out and just like jumping and trying to, you know. We do this. I love what Dallas Willard said. He says, faith is not opposed to knowledge. It's opposed to sight. See, it's not opposed to knowledge. Knowledge in the character of who God is. Knowledge in the promises of God. It's opposed to sight. The minute you see it, it's no longer faith. The minute Jenny and I are standing at the altar, she no longer needs faith in that moment. It's a reality. You notice how it started off. It said, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. By the way, Nehemiah didn't just go in at any moment. He recognized a golden opportunity. Persian kings regularly held feasts where they showed special uh, displays of generosity. Nisan was the first month in the Persian calendar, and, and many scholars believe this is one such special New Year's feast. He's looking for an opportunity when the king is in a good mood and already benevolent. He's going, I'm going to take advantage of that. He doesn't go in and he's like, well, the king's grumpy. I'm going to ask anyways. He doesn't go in and go, you know, um, I have my timing and my way and all this. He's using his brain at the same time. And notice, by the way, he, he had a well-thought-out plan be- that he went before the king with. Faith involves both careful planning and courageous action. He shows the king, shows up and says, oh man, how could I, you know, be happy and not be sad if my people are in disgrace? And the king says, what do you want? And for many, we would struggle to answer that question with clarity. It's like what Jesus asked to the, the leper, or not the leper, the, yeah, thank you, that one. And he says, what is it that you want? To be healed. Like we have that clarity, that plan, that forethought. He lists out all the things he would need to move forward. Faith is not opposed to wisdom. I love what Andy Stanley said on this. Faith, pray for opportunities and then plan as if you expect God to answer your prayers. Pray for opportunities at your workplace. Pray for opportunities in your neighborhood. Pray for opportunities. We're praying for our opportunities here at Awakening. We'll share in a little bit later. And then we're going to plan as if God is going to answer our prayers. I think one of the most encouraging things about this text, and I love it, is uh, faith is not absent of fear, is it? I was very much afraid. But... I was very much afraid, but I said to the king. And for some, you're waiting until you're not afraid to let go of that branch. And fear causes us to retreat on our God-given purpose in our lives. Well, what if it doesn't work? What if I'm wrong? I get a step of faith, but what if I'm wrong? What will others think of me? We fear when the future is uncertain, when it's unknown. 
We fear when it looks impossible. When you're thinking about that, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your relationship with the kids. It just looks impossible. Maybe it's your work. I think we fear when it seems like God doesn't make sense, doesn't work in the way we want him to work, when we want him to do what he wants to do. Faith, the confidence that God is who he says he is, and he will do what he said he will do. And so why is this so important? What's the big deal? Well, Faith positions you and I to experience the power of God. Where there is no faith, there is no power, there is no joy, there is no intimacy with God, there's no supernatural miracles, there's no reward. Did you notice that line? It's verse 8, I believe. It says, and because the gracious hand of the Lord God was on me, Friends, there's some of you that have no idea that the gracious hand of the Lord is on you. Like like you experience that when you step out and trust the word of the Lord, you experience the hand of the Lord on you. Like God's dreams for your life are so much bigger than your dreams for your life. God longs to use you in ways that, that, that would blow you away in different people's lives. And it's faith that positions us to experience the power of God. Again, back to our Hebrews 11 chapter of faith. The author says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. Not hard, not difficult, impossible. Why? Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Like, God, you exist. There is a God. And then the character of God. See, I think when we think about God, we think when we come to him, he's going to not reward us, but reprimand us. And go, why didn't you? You've been sucking. You're terrible. You're no good. He says, no, when you turn your face to me, when you begin to make that small step of faith toward me, I want to reward it like a good father does. I I want to draw you in. I'm not down on you. I'm not against you. You're not so far from me. Well, what is faith? It's confidence that God is who he said he is. What does faith look like? Well, it's to trust and to act on that. It involves risk. It's not opposed to wisdom. It's definitely not absent of fear. For some, that is where you're at this morning in the area that you're stuck. You're afraid, and God is calling you to let go of that branch and begin to reach out towards him. And what will happen is it will position you as you do to experience the power of God. So, how do we grow in faith? Isn't that the million-dollar question? To grow in faith, you ready for it? You have to take a step of faith. 
Like, Ingram, that's just cheating. That's literally the title of the sermon, A Step of Faith. For you to grow in faith, you have to take a step of faith. Let me give you an illustration. No amount of YouTube training videos on swimming will make you a swimmer. To become a swimmer, you have to what? Swim. You have to get into the pool and push off from the side of the pool and begin to practice and flail a little bit. And until you get into the pool, you can know all there is to know about swimming. You can know all there is about every single stroke there is. And yet, you are not a swimmer. You're just a very smart person about swimming. <laughs> don't, 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 don't leave me here. You connecting some of those dots? Come on. We have very smart people about the Christian faith, and we don't necessarily have Christians living by faith. For you to grow in faith. For me, if we're going to be a people, we literally, it's taking the first small step of faith. What area in your life do you need to take a step of faith? Move it from theory to reality. This sermon does nothing if you walk away and go, I know some things about faith. Oh, I have a new definition for faith. That's amazing, fantastic. And you are just a smarter, non-swimmer, land-dweller. What area in your life do you need to take a step of faith? I mean, would you write it down? Would you get really clear? Let me give you perhaps three possible steps of faith. may not be yours. These are just possible ones. For some, you need to take a a step of faith in regards to Jesus. Maybe you've been investigating, maybe you've been dabbling your feet on the edge in the pool, but you've not been quite ready to jump in. And today is the day of salvation, and anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved, and they'll transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son He loves, and you'll experience new life immediately, and the Spirit of God will dwell inside of you, and you'll be called a new name, redeemed, forgiven, adopted, and you'll have a purpose on this planet. Maybe today is that day for you, and you just simply cry out to Jesus, Jesus, come. Please, Jesus, come into my life. There's, in regards to Jesus, you would say, I I asked Jesus into my life, but I never let him lead my life. I'm in charge of my life, and I just want a little bit of Jesus because this is nice. And today, the step of faith is, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. And what that means is whatever you say, I'll do. It's where you write him a blank check, sign your name, and you say, you fill it in. 
if you do that, you will experience the divine adventure of following Jesus and not the religious kind of hurdles that we go through. Maybe another possible step of faith is relational. It might be with your marriage. It might be with a friendship. It might be with your kids. Some questions here. Is there someone you need to forgive? Is is there someone that is an enemy in your life that you need to love? Is there an area that you need to ask for help? It's a step of faith. I want to give you this final one, and i got to give a little kind of caveat for it. And then I want to tell you about how awakening is taking a step of faith to close our time. The final one is the training wheels that God uses for those of us who are followers of Jesus to grow our faith. Now, this is not an area for you if you're not a follower of Jesus. And, by the way, I just want to set it up. This is not an emotional plea. We don't have any um, closing music at the end. There's not going to be the keyboardist playing, I'm going to come as you are, you know. None of that. I'm going to stand us up as soon as we're done, and I'm going to pray over you, bless you, and go. But here's what you need to know. This is the training wheels that God uses to, to grow our faith, and it's financial. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, wherever you're treasure is, there your heart is also. Luke chapter 16, he would say it this way, whoever's faithful in a very little thing will also be faithful in much. Whoever's unfaithful in a very little thing will also be unfaithful with much. How then, if you are not good stewards of worldly wealth, will he entrust you with true riches? The point of the little in God's economy is your stuff. He doesn't need it. He wants your heart. When we learn to trust him with our stuff, it is giving trains our heart to trust God. And we begin to discover that he's trustworthy. And we go, here you go, God. Here's what I got. And, by the way, this is such a big deal. Give somewhere else for your heart's sake. Like, aren't you in the middle of a capital campaign? Yeah, this is stupid to say. I get it. But I so want for you to experience the heart of Jesus and to grow in this area? If there's ever anything where you go, like, that's what they're about. No, it's not. We are in a season, but this is such a bigger deal. This is the training wills of faith for your life and if you begin to trust them in this area. Well, I, I, like I said, I just simply want to apply this to awakening as we close, an awakening step of faith. This is Awakenings Big, and you got this here, and if you're brand new, I've been talking about this for the last couple weeks, or maybe you missed the last couple weeks. So this go back and catch up on the previous episodes. That would be great. But this is a massive step of faith for us. When we launched Awakening Church six years ago, the biggest dream we could dream was giving $15,000 outside the doors of our church. Four-month-old church, mainly college students, Like, it was the biggest dream we could dream. 
In fact, there was one generous young professional, single young professional said, hey, I want us to reach that. I'm going to do a matching for you to be able to get there. And it was amazing. God allowed us to give $26,000 that first year, build two wells, and help multiple other wells get refurbished. Well, we're in a season where we're dreaming, okay, God, what would it look like for us to live out our vision in a, in a new reality? Faith is to trust and to act on that trust. Well, our confidence is God has called us to awaken this generation to new life. And so we're leaning into that. Well, faith requires risk. This is a little bit risky. We're very comfortable at Del Mar, and yet we're growing out of this. We've been talking here. And so we're entering this two-year campaign Instead of $15,000, $1.5 million. That's a hundredfold above and beyond. Ooh, a regular giving. Faith is not opposed to wisdom. We spent the last couple years praying diligently on where God was leading us. We sought wise counsel. We're in a strategic season in the life of our church of who God's brought here and what he's doing. And then we think even about a longer-term location. I can't help but think, with all the big boxes going out of business, perhaps we're in a strategic moment in history as well. Faith is not absent of fear. i got, I got to tell you, as a leader, I have all those same things. Like, what if it doesn't work out? What will people think? What if we don't hit our goal? Well, we're going to celebrate whatever we hit. That's true. But we're going to move forward. And here's what I'm asking. And I've asked our leaders to do this. And here's where we're setting up. I'm asking us as a church to say we're going to take a step of faith, sacrificially give above and beyond what we normally give so we can go beyond where we're normally able to go. I'm going to talk more next week just about what I call the four words that have guided our process. I believe that leaders go first. Leaders set the pace. As the leaders go, so goes the church. Our staff has already made the commitment. Our leadership council has already made the commitment. We're asking more key staff long before. And on November 11th, I've said it every week, it's a big commitment Sunday. I long for everybody who says, man, I'm a part of Awakening to show up that day We'll be a packed house. But faith positions us to experience the power of God. We're stepping out in faith in this season and saying, God, we want to see this city reached. We want to see this generation reached. And we're going to step out and lean into you and trust you along the process. And the invitation is, will you join us? I got this just for your sake so you can look at it and you can read it. There's more FAQs on the back table. Next week, probably my favorite thing is four words that have deeply shaped me and how we are going, how my wife and I really wrestled with, okay, how are we going to give above and beyond what we already regularly give? Next week is Nehemiah. We're going to look at a strategic plan and talk about our strategic plan as a church. Will you stand with me and we'll close. I told you there wasn't any emotional heart plea or anything at the end. Intentional. 
intentional. Here's what I want for you. I want for you to experience the God who is able in your life. And so whatever it is, whatever relationship, whatever issue, whatever thing came in in your life where you feel like you're Ella stuck in a tree, this week, in this moment, would you write it down and take a step of faith and watch God respond? And for some, your step of faith is I'm going to step out and ask for prayer and I'm going to go to our prayer team. And for others... It's just simply going, hey, I'm going to ask for help and talk to someone around me about where I'm at. Jesus, would you make us a church that just simply walks with you, that trusts you for big things, and that we'd see you do things that were beyond our imagination. In Jesus' name, amen.